The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 68, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those who also hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance. When it was weary, your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as Zalmon. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation, Selah. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan, I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may crush them in blood. And the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were maidens playing timbrels. Bless God in the congregations, the Lord from the fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin, their leader, the princes of Judah and their company the princes of Zebulun, and the princes of Naphtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us because of your temple at Jerusalem. 
kings will bring presents to you. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples, till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. Scatter the people who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord. Selah. To him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice, a mighty voice, ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. All right, we're in Deuteronomy 24. We're doing verses 5 through 22 today. I know that's a lot of verses. It's entitled, Remember What the Lord Your God Did. When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. No man shall take the lower or upper millstone in pledge, for he takes one's living in pledge. If a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die, and you shall put away the evil from among you. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you. Just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. When you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert justice to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. As in other parts of the Mosaic Law, the passage today is filled with laws and commands. And yet, a main premise of what is stated here hinges on the idea of faith. You might ask, how can that be so? Paul says the law is not of faith, but of works. Yes, he did, and yes, it is. 
But that does not negate that faith is involved in what is stated here and in almost all the rest of the code that has been and will be set forth. If you don't understand, we will go over that at the end of the sermon. For now, trust me on it. Now, normally I wouldn't say something like that, trust me on it, because I don't want you to trust me on anything, but because I'm going to tell you at the end of the sermon, I've said that. Until we get there, we have much to evaluate, lots of rules and precepts to consider. Moses continues to lay out precepts for the people of Israel to guide their lives and conduct during the time of the law. And it is during the time of the law that many of the elders mentioned by the author of Hebrews lived when he refers to their faith. Our text verse comes from Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. The author of Hebrews says, by faith those elders obtained a good testimony. Who are those elders? Well, he refers to Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But those were all before the law. What you said doesn't apply to them, Charlie. Well, it's true. They were not under the law. But Hebrews 11 continues with Moses, the destruction of Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, and a host of others in a brushstroke of the time of the law. He notes that they were all people of faith. So being under the law does not exclude faith. Rather, For the law to mean anything at all of value to a person, it necessitates it. Otherwise, there would be no reason to name and highlight these people, would there? If boasting is excluded by the law of faith, which is Romans 3.27, and if works are a point of boasting, then these people of faith had only one place to glory, meaning in the Lord. Go read 1 Corinthians 1 verse 31. Try to remember this as we wind through the verses today. What is it about what Moses says that tells us that this is true? For the most part, Israel missed the important point of all concerning the law. In missing it, they missed what stands as the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. The law versus faith. Well, where will you place your hat? Be sure to choose the right path and then develop it in your life. Nurture this precious gift of God to the fullest and to his glory. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is, so you shall be careful to do. It's verses 5 through 13. Verse 5, when a man has taken a new wife. Ki yika ish isha hadasha. When has taken man, wife, new. The previous section, verses 1 through 4, dealt with marriage and divorce, and the prohibition of remarrying a woman who is defiled through being married to another. The words now do not necessarily follow after that, as if it is referring to such an instance. However, they do not negate that either. What is being proposed here is simply a protection and a blessing for a new wife, regardless as to any previous circumstances. Further, There is no qualifier here. It doesn't say a first wife, a virgin, or anything else. It speaks of a man taking a new wife. If he already had one wife, it can be assumed that it doesn't negate the provision now being stated. This is because it is the wife that is being considered in the matter. 
in whatever case, if a man takes a new wife, then, verse 5 continues, he shall not go out to war. Lo yetse ba tzava. No, he shall go out in the war. The explanation for this only comes later, but it can already be assumed that this is so that he doesn't head out and get killed in battle. But more, verse 5 continues, or be charged with any business. Velo ya'abor alav le And no shall pass over upon him to all word. Not only was he not to be charged with soldiering, but he was not to be conscripted for any service that may arise such as serving in a government tasking and so on. The reason why I say that is when Solomon set up his government, you go through a list of all kinds of people that were tasked to bring things and to coordinate government activities and stuff like that. That would be forbidden under the law of Moses. Any edict that went out upon the land that imposed duties on the people was not to pass over upon him. Rather, verse 5 continues, he shall be free at home one year. Naki le beto shana echat. Clear he shall be to his house year one. In other words, there shall be nothing imposed upon him. He is to remain clear of any external obligations. With this understood, the reason for the words is finally stated. Verse 5 continues, and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. The King James Version says, cheer up his wife. That assumes that she is first down, something not implied. Rather, her marriage is already a time of happiness, and it is stating that he is to bring cheer to her during the year. Any external tasking would deprive her of the happy state she should continue to be blessed with. Verse 6, no man shall take the lower or the upper millstone in pledge. The Hebrew reads, no man shall take in pledge millstones and rider. In other words, do not take a pair of grindstones or even the upper millstone as a security for a debt. That's the CSB translation, and they got it right. The rider would be the top millstone. Taking it would be no different than taking both. Verse 6 continues, for he takes one's living in pledge. Kinefesh hu chovel, for soul he takes in pledge. Here, the thing, the millstones or the rider, is equated directly to the soul of the person. To deprive him of his millstones is to deprive him of life because the grain was ground for each day for bread. In taking the means of making bread, the bread would be denied him. As this is a precept of the law, and as the law has come from the Lord by inspiration through Moses, it is actually a note of eternal salvation. In other words, the Lord would not impose upon the people something he would fail to provide himself. Just as nobody was to be deprived of their source of life, the Lord will not deprive any of their source of life. For those who come to Christ, the bread of life, they will never be deprived of him. The precept can be reasonably presumed from this verse. Verse 7, if a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel... Again, the focus is on the life of the person, using the word nefesh, thus tying the soul to the previous verse. Ki yimatse ish gonev nefesh me'echav, when is found man kidnapping soul of his brothers. The words follow after and expand upon Exodus 21, verse 16. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Verse 7 going on, and mistreats him or sells him. The word used is amar, 
It means to bind sheaves. Think of grabbing sheaves and putting them together. Thus, it gives the sense of mistreating because of piling on blows. The person is either abused or sold off. Verse 7 continues, then that kidnapper shall die. The words are emphatic. Umet haganav ha hu. And shall die the kidnapper, the he. No provision for mercy is granted. He is to be a goner. Verse 7 continues, and you shall put away the evil from among you. Again, Moses uses the word ba'ar, to burn or to consume, as he has done numerous times so far in Deuteronomy. The evil is to be purged from the land, thus ensuring that such will never be considered again. Paul uses the same expression from the Greek translation of these words in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 13, taking them and applying them in a moral context concerning the sexually immoral. Verse 8, Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you, just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. The words of the previous verse were all in the singular. You, Israel, shall put away the evil from among you. Now they are in the plural. Shall teach you all, and you all shall be careful to do. Each person is to be responsible to heed. But what is being conveyed? There are two separate and completely distinct translations. The first, New King James Version, take heed in an outbreak of leprosy. The second is from the Dewey Rames Bible, which is a Catholic Bible. Observe diligently that thou incur not the stroke of leprosy. So one is saying, be careful if there's leprosy. The other one says, be careful or you will get leprosy. Okay? The first and most common translation is that when a plague of leprosy occurs, the people were to then do what the priests instructed. The second is a warning that if one does not obey the priests, a plague of leprosy would result. The Hebrew says, Take heed in outbreak the leprosy. One can argue either translation from that. Further, the priests, the Levites, are the teachers of the law. Thus, either translation could be acceptable. As will be seen, the next verse appears, and I side heavily with it, with the latter interpretation as a warning. Also, 2 Samuel 20, verse 10, uses the same construct of the Hebrew, in the sword, in the same sense. Further, the change to the plural, speaking to every individual, favors the latter as well. Each person is to be accountable for his conduct. To fail in it could easily end in being plagued with leprosy. What is also of note is that Moses says, just as I commanded them. In much of the law, the word went from the Lord to Moses. In Deuteronomy, the word goes from the Lord through Moses. Either way, Moses is the lawgiver to the people in this regard. And more, it is the law that takes precedence. The priests, the Levites, were to teach according to the law. If what they said conflicted with the law itself, it was not to be obeyed. Everybody got that? I'm building a case for why I believe that it is be careful or you'll get leprosy. The precept holds true for the church as well, though. Nothing is to be done, even if instructed by a teacher or a pastor, if it is not in accord with the word. Ever. You do not trust a pastor or a teacher Ever. You're to give them double honor according to the Bible, but you are to check and make sure. Never do something contrary to the word of God. Question. 
How can you fulfill this precept if you do not know what the Word of God says? Answer, you can't. Learn the Word. To see the most likely translation of the previous words, we next read verse 9. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. He gave her leprosy, so obviously he's making a connection to getting leprosy for doing something wrong. The Hebrew jumps from the singular to the plural. Zakor et asher asa Yehovah Elohecha le Miriam baderek betzetechem mi Mitzrayim. Remember what did Yehovah your singular Israel God to Miriam in the way in your plural all of you coming out of Egypt Israel you got it. It is a warning to each person. Miriam spoke against Moses and was punished with leprosy. As such, it appears most likely that the previous verse is a warning. Pay heed to this law taught by the Levites or you individual may receive an outbreak of leprosy. Before I go on, I will say this. Last week, the Dewey Rames was the only Bible that got it right. This week, the Dewey Rames is the only Bible that got it right. I want you to know that just because it's a Catholic Bible does not mean that you shouldn't be checking with it. Okay? The original Catholic Bible comes from the Latin Vulgate, which was translated by Jerome out of the Hebrew and the Greek long before Roman Catholicism was considered acceptable. Okay? So be careful. Don't dismiss things just because of the source. People love to dismiss anybody that cites John Calvin. Well, John Calvin got things right. He also got a lot of things wrong. Okay? Augustine. If somebody cites Augustine, don't dismiss the person citing it. Make sure that what Augustine says is correct. If not, then disregard the person that's citing it. Okay? Everything has to be taken with balance in your theology. Okay? To further solidify this, two examples of someone becoming leprous for disobedience are actually given in Scripture. Hence, I fully support the second translation, the Dewey Rames, and not the others. Okay? 2 Kings 5. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. And from 2 Chronicles 26, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And there, on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. In these, the Bible explains the precept. 
both disobedience to the law, meaning lying to the prophet, and disregarding the instruction of the priests who are upholding the law, both of them resulted in leprosy. Verse 10, when you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. The words of the verses of this subject, verses 10 through 13, return to the singular. But it is not the singular you, Israel. It is obviously to each person who would be in such a situation. It may or may not come about, but if it does, Moses, through the law, speaks directly to the individual. A new word is found here, mash sha'ah, alone. It is found only here and in Proverbs 22, verse 26. Being a noun, the words more correctly read, when you make a loan of anything. In this, the loaner was restricted in his actions. It reads, la'avot avoto, to take in pledge his pledge. The pledge is not the thing lent. Rather, it is the thing that is used as surety for the thing lent. A person was not to go into another's house and decide, this is what I want as a pledge for the 50 shekels I lent you. And this is for several reasons. First, it is presumptuous to enter into another man's privacy in order to secure a pledge. Secondly, what the person had in his house was none of the lender's business. And thirdly, if he went in and took whatever he wanted, it may be the one thing that the man needed and could not spare. Because of this, verse 11, you shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. The idea here is of common courtesy, respect, and acknowledging that as the lender, you have voluntarily lent. To go into another's house would imply that the loan granted rights that actually did not exist. As I said a moment ago, it is presumptuous. Moses forbids such an action in advance, but he then even goes further. Verse 12, and if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. The next verse shows that the pledge is a garment. As such, Moses says, you shall not lie down in his pledge. This then is a restatement of the words found in Exodus 22. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. The people of Israel were found guilty of exactly this, as is recorded in Amos 2, verse 8, where it says, They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge, and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. It is a great crime, because if a man is poor, he has just one thing to cover himself with at night. If that item is taken as a pledge, then verse 13, you shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down. The words are emphatic. Hashev tashiv lo et ha'avot kebo hashemesh. Returning, you shall return to him the pledge according to going the sun. If the sun is going down, it is time to sleep. There's nothing to be gained by holding the pledge of a sleeping man. Further, the sleeping man needs to keep warm with the coming of night. Thus, the pledge is to be returned. Verse 13 continues, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. The Bible clearly indicates that words have power. We need to be careful when we speak things. This is but one of innumerable examples of the precept. The obvious notion is that if he is not blessing, he may be cursing or at least crying out. 
In such a case, the Lord will hear and repay. However, in his warmth, he will instead speak forth a blessing. As such, verse 13 continues, and it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. This is not speaking of justifying righteousness, as if doing a good deed under the law resulted in a declaration of righteousness. Rather, it speaks of the righteousness of the law being expressed in right action, just as there is unrighteousness in not obeying the law. The sentiment was already stated by Moses in chapter 6. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Lord God, we have offended you in so many ways. We have defiled ourselves in your sight. In this we have continued on for countless days who can purify us and make us right. We have not treated others as we should. We have forsaken your law, not doing what is right. We have taken the wrong path, forgetting the good, and we have not been faithful in your sight. The poor has been mistreated. The widow and the orphan are shunned as well. Your righteous law we have unseated. What a sad story to tell. Help us to turn and do what is right. For your marvelous mercy, let our voices ring. In faith we call out, so restore us in your sight. And to you, our praises, we shall forever sing. Our second thought today, therefore I command you to do this thing. It's verses 14 through 22. Verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. The word translated as oppress bears the sense of defrauding. The idea of being a hired servant is that he lives off of wages. He is not a servant in the household entitled to the food and drink of the house. If one is poor and needy and regardless as to his affiliation, be it one of Israel or a stranger, he was not to be extorted. The precept has already been stated in Leviticus 19. You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Such perverse conduct is what Jeremiah, Malachi, and James each write about. As for James, he says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Verse 15, each day you shall give him his wages. The Hebrew reads, Beyomo, in his day. In other words, in the day he worked, he is to be paid. Verse 15 continues, and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it. Rather than set his heart, the Hebrew says lifted or carried his soul. In other words, this is what he needs to simply continue on with. His existence is tied up in the wages. The going down of the sun was the start of a new day. To say, I will give it to you in the morning, was to deprive him of his food and maybe even his bed during the night. What was owed was to be paid. This is still seen in practice at the time of Jesus as is reflected in the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Go read it today. Verse 15 continues, Lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it be sin to you. This is the exact opposite of the previous lesson. The person who had his garment returned would bless the lender. Moses uses the opposite thought now concerning withholding his wages to show that instead of righteousness, there would be sin. Verse 16, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. 
a person shall be put to death for his own sin. This is a precept of the law to which the people were bound to. The civil authorities had no right to bring the parents into the judgment of their children, nor the children into the judgment of their parents. The precept is not something that the Lord as the judge of Israel was bound to. If he determined an entire family was to be destroyed, as in the case of Achan and Joshua, that is what was to happen. Ezekiel 18 addresses this issue from the Lord's perspective, as he says, all souls are mine. As for the law itself, this exact verse is cited in 2 Kings 14, where Amaziah faithfully followed the precept. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. But the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. Verse 17, you shall not pervert justice to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. The words here are similar to those of Exodus 22. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. The addition of not taking a widow's garment as a pledge is a note of common decency. As a widow, it might be the only possession that she had. It is a most tender note of an already tender and caring set of words from Moses. And there's a reason for these terms. Verse 18, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Moses has said the same basic thought again and again so far in Deuteronomy. Each time the words are carefully chosen to fortify the words of the surrounding thought. In this case, he calls them to remember the slavery in Egypt and the Lord's redeeming of them from there. The word pada or to ransom is used. Israel was in misery and the Lord rescued them from it. These people he now mentions are in misery, and Moses thus commands that they be treated by Israel in the same manner that the Lord treated them. They are to be rescued from their misery. The precept in type must hold true for us. Egypt pictures bondage to sin. If you don't know that, go back and watch the Exodus sermons. We could not rescue ourselves from that state, but the Lord acted, and he did so. Therefore, we are to act in the same manner toward the lost. It is utter folly to think that we deserved our redemption, but others do not. Verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. This sediment has been seen twice before in Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 23. As for Leviticus 19... When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleaning of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Both Leviticus 19 and 23 refer to the poor and the stranger. Here, Moses refers to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. 
The idea is that whatever is dropped during the reaping process is to be left where it lies. It is not to be picked up, but it is instead reserved for these classes of people. In this, the poor and the stranger could follow after them and gather the gleanings. To understand this more clearly and to see it in practice, take a few minutes to read the book of Ruth. What is said there is exactly in accord with Moses' words now, but the champion of the story, Boaz, I'll stop right there. Yesterday, I was in the projects. The very first house, we don't even include her in our walk because we see her before we even get started. I walked over there and her name is Bumpy. She's about 75, 80 years old. She's a wonderful human being. She said, Charlie, I've got another dog. Would you like it? I said, okay. And so I brought it home, gave it a bath and I waited. Hidako came home and she was, of course, what's this? What's going on? What's his name? I said, I've been waiting all day for you to decide. Guess what she decided? Boaz. Boaz goes above and beyond the law in this regard. As always, there is a reason for such precepts as this. Verse 19 continues, that the Lord your God may bless you. To end purpose may bless you, Jehovah your God. Not only is it morally right to obey the law, but in following the precepts as set forth, the end purpose is to receive a blessing from the Lord. As such, obviously, to fail to do so would then result in both sin and the Lord's disfavor. As far as the blessing, it is to be, verse 19 continues, in all the work of your hands. The idea is that of abundance and prosperity. Such a blessing of the Lord will rest on the one who willingly complies with the precept. This is stated by Solomon in the Proverbs. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. And he who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. As with the harvesting of grain, so it is with that of the olive. Verse 20, when you beat your olive trees, when you beat your olive trees, here is a new word, chavat, to beat out or to thresh. The purpose of this is to knock the olives from the tree. The practice using a different word is described in Isaiah verse 23. It says there, When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. One would climb into the tree and shake the limbs by hand or by foot, or he would take a rod and beat on the branches. To see this done both by beating and by shaking, you can watch the YouTube video, How to Pick and Pickle Olives in Nazareth, on the Sergio and Rhoda in Israel channel. And I will say that probably Lynn here saw that recently because he says he's been binging on their videos. Did you see that one where they, okay. Either way, the practice caused the olives to fall. During such a process, verse 20 continues, you shall not go over the boughs again. Once the tree had been beaten, any olives that did not come off because they were missed on the first whacking, or for whatever other reason, they were not to be sought after. Rather, verse 20 continues, it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Again, for the second time, the same three categories are mentioned. They are in need, the need can be met by leaving what is commanded, and therefore the precept is given. And yet again, Moses next says, verse 21, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, it reads, when you cut off the grapes, 
They are cut off in clusters and placed into baskets, and from there the baskets are taken down the rows to carts that are then filled with the grapes. Verse 21 continues, you shall not glean it afterward. Here it says, you shall not glean after yourself. In other words, once the cutting has been done, the cutter is not to glean anything that was missed. The small clusters and single grapes that were missed were to be left alone. Thus, verse 21 continues, it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. This is the third time in a row these words have been conveyed. Those who did not have their own fields would have no way of tending to themselves. Thus, the provision is stated. They were to be tended to as if the Lord was carefully watching over them. As their words of law, the Lord was, in fact, doing so. These precepts follow logically with what the Lord will do after the church age. There will be a time when the harvest has come, but he will leave his witness and his testimony for the people of the world. Those who are left behind will be provided for by him if they are willing to seek him out. Moses finishes with the same thought he expressed only a few short verses ago. Verse 22 finishes with, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command you to do this thing. The stranger, the fatherless, and the widow were in their own type of bondage. They were at the mercy of those among whom they lived, and they were in bondage to their physical needs. The Lord, through the law, provided for them just as he provided for Israel's relief from their bondage, and just as he will continue to provide for those in bondage after the church age. There is no time when the Lord's mercies are not on full display, and there is no time when he is not attentive to the plight of his people. Those who will submit to him through faith in his provision are who his people are. It must be remembered that the law is not of faith, but of works. Paul repeats that in various ways in Romans and in Galatians. However, there could still be a sense of faith even for those under the law. One had to believe that the Lord is truly God in order to even care in his heart about observing the law. Said differently, a person may observe the law because he was scared of the repercussions of not doing so, like being arrested, stoned, or whatever, and yet he might not believe that the Lord was actually the lawgiver through Moses. On the other hand, a person may honestly believe, without evidence of seeing the Lord, that the Lord truly is the lawgiver. In this, he would delight in the law, and he would pursue fulfilling the law because of the faith he possessed in the Lord. In this, his works would be works of faith. This is no different than us today. There are countless people that go to church who really don't believe in the Lord. They do the things they were told to do by the church, and they are obedient to the precepts, but they are not living in faith. In the end, they may do really wonderful things for whatever reason, but they will receive no approval from the Lord for their actions. In our verses today, we have seen the following statements spoken forth by Moses. Think on them as I read them. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. Again, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. Next, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And then finally, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. All five of these, although being said by Moses in the law, are statements that require faith to be believed. Unless a person truly believes that the Lord is God, 
everything about the accompanying precepts is simply a body of law that governs the society. And the Lord is simply inserted into what is said for intimidation. I mean, we can get that, go to Japan, you know, whatever, kamikaze said this, and this is what the law says, and the people believe it. Did kamikaze say that? No, there is no kamikaze, right? It takes faith in the Lord to believe that the Lord gave the law. Remember this as you read the Old Testament and mentally interact with the words and the people that the Lord has placed in there, which are people of faith, which are people lacking faith. And then of those who had faith, which acted on that faith and to what degree is it so? As you read the Gospels and Acts, do the same thing. Think on the actions of the people, observe their attitudes, and then consider which are acting in accord with the will of the Lord, and to what measure are they doing so. And then, when you read the epistles, place yourself into what is stated. These are our directives for life under the new covenant. How are your life's actions being conducted in accord with what those writers present? Are you more of a David or more of a Manasseh? Are you more like Nicodemus or more like Caiaphas? Gauge yourself according to what is presented and then develop what is lacking. The closer you are to the Lord, the more intently you will seek to please him. The closer you are to the Lord, the more you will desire to see him glorified. And the closer you are to the Lord, the more fearful you should be of disappointing him. Not because he might cast you into hell, if you are in Christ, that will not happen, but fearful that you will discredit him and his glory through your actions and in the eyes of others. What is it that you truly believe? Whatever you believe about the Lord, develop that. Moses presents his laws to the people, but he did it under the authority and the inspiration of the Lord. This is the word of God. Though the law is of works, the fundamental truth is that faith is a dividing line of people even under the law. How much more so is it for those who are in Christ? Let us be people of faith. When Genesis chapter 1 says the Lord created in six days, what is your reason for accepting or denying that as literal truth? When Genesis 7 and 8 tell us of a worldwide flood, do you take that as literal history or simply a fairy tale? The Bible says Christ Jesus came. Do you believe that? Do you believe him? He speaks of a literal creation and a literal flood. So what Jesus are you following? Be people of faith and be people pleasing to God who has presented himself to you in the pages of scripture. This is what I would ask of you today. I understand that there is not a lot of typology in these verses we saw today. Last week, that's all it was, four verses, and we had an entire sermon of beautiful typology. These verses are more mechanical. Moses has to give laws to the people of Israel. And he cares for the people of Israel, meaning the Lord. And so he gave these laws. Some of them have actual typological presentations, like you can't lose your salvation. We saw that one. We saw a couple others. But for the most part, these are just rote laws that the people are to observe. And the people at times may have been trouble if they didn't observe them, right? Somebody is a good king and he says, you didn't do that. And off comes your head. At other times, the whole nation has abandoned the Lord and nobody cares. But some people still observed those laws when nobody cared because they knew that the Lord is God. Everything you do, everything that you do has to be evaluated in relation to the Lord. Everything. 
or it's just wasted time. Please call on Jesus if you haven't done that as well. That's the main point of the entire church is to gather people into his presence, hear his word explained, and then tell them their need for Jesus. Now, I don't want to leave a sermon undone without doing that. This is our purpose here is to tell people about Jesus and to get this message of salvation out to the people of the world. God really redeemed a people from Egypt. He really took them through the Red Sea. I believe that as much as I believe that that chair is green and that one is black. Okay? I 100% believe that with all of my heart and my soul. But there's a reason why he did that. It wasn't just to save a group of people and just be done with it. He did it as typological representation of how he was going to save the whole world. If you haven't watched those Exodus sermons, go back and watch them and you'll understand that. Everything is in typology to show a template in the people of Israel as how God is going to treat each one of us in our salvation. Thank God for Jesus Christ who redeemed Egypt, picturing our redemption from sin. He died for our sin. He was buried. He rose again. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for your sin, implying you're a sinner. He was buried, meaning he was really dead. And he came out of that grave proving two things, a lot more things, but two on my mind right now. That he was sinless because the wages of sin is death. And if he wasn't sinless, he'd still be in the grave. And secondly, that he is God. Because everybody inherits sins and he didn't inherit sin. Meaning that his father truly is God. He is the God man. Thank God for Jesus Christ who was willing to do this for us. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Please call on him today. Our closing verse comes from Hebrews 11. Hall of Fame of Faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Next week is Deuteronomy 25, verses 1 through 10. What a wondrous story he has to tell. It's entitled, A Brother in Israel. That'll be our 71st Deuteronomy sermon. Ooh, can't wait. I read it uh, out loud to myself on Friday. Good stuff. I typed up some Deuteronomy 28 sermons already. I'm up there doing them. I'm going to tell you what, Deuteronomy 20. Let's just go there for a minute. We got a couple, we're a couple minutes early. I just want to read you just some verses. I'm, I'm not going to give you anything in particular. I'm just going to pick some out. Okay. Deuteronomy 28. Let's see here. I think I've got the first two done. I'm probably down through verse 15, maybe verse 20. Somewhere, I've, I've done two sermons. Um, I'm just going to pick them out. I'll just start with one and go down to six. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will... You know what? I'm, I'm not. I'm going to start with the curses. That's the blessings. We know that's good stuff. I'm going to go down to the curses. <laughs> Verse 15. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. It goes on like that for just how many? Like 62 verses or something. I mean, anyway, I'm not going to turn it. My finger can't open that page. So every word that I just read you out of, what, six verses of curses? Every word anticipates Christ. You won't believe it. 
You won't believe it. Unbelievable how every single word anticipates Christ. I will normally never give anybody anything for my sermons that haven't been sent out yet. I was so excited. I sent about this much of a page to Sergio and Rhoda, and they said they couldn't believe it. It's all about you. All the curses, everything. What a wonderful God that would do these things for us. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I've got the poem for you, but before we go, I promise that somebody's going to get some supplies to take home for their, for their emergency. And I've got ravioli, I've got chicken tortellini, I've got chicken noodle, and I've got mini spaghetti rings and meatballs. Okay, so you can take two of these. You can't take four because i got to get my, my cabinet filled up, but you can take two of these. Any of those two. If you can answer this very simple question, is this two-part? Uh, yeah, it's going to be two parts, so don't yell it out until you, you thought it through. Paul speaks of the laborer and his wages. What book does he say this in, and what does he cite from the Old Testament in relation to that? Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> Come on now. Nobody goes ahead in Deuteronomy. I mean, don't look down at your Bible. The next chapter, you flip one page and go down about five verses, and it's included in there. Nobody reads ahead. The laborer is worthy of his wages. And what's he basing that on? What? First Corinthians? No. Romans. No. No. Okay. He, it's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. And he bases that on, you shall not muzzle the ox. Okay. You oh, you got that too? Oh, you, well, you got Timothy, but did you say muzzle the ox? No. Okay, well, you had to get both. I said it was a two-part question. Okay, that'll be in next week's sermon. Think on that, and we'll talk about it next week. Okay, wonderful stuff. Here we go. I'm sorry, nobody gets this. I'm going to be, when you all are perishing during the lack of food, I'm going to be eating ravioli. Two for one, go buy some. Yeah. Okay, I'll be thinking about you. Here we go. Remember what the Lord your God did. When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. To his wife, care he shall be making. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. No man shall take the lower or upper millstone in pledge, for he takes one's living in pledge. That is his financial hedge. If a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren, of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die and you shall put away the evil from among you. So to you, I tell. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites who shall teach you just as I commanded them. So you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam for she was to blame on the way when out of Egypt you came. When you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. To this precept, you must be true. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring out the pledge to you. And if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again 
him you shall not defraud. When the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren among whom you live, or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall him his wages give. And not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it. Lest he cry out against the Lord to you, and it be sin to you, sin you did commit. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children. Only the offender shall be a has-been. Nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert justice to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge, guilt that would bring. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it, such you shall not do. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may, in all the work of your hands, bless you. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. So I say, it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow for their sustenance after that day. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it after word. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, as you have now heard. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, the land. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Therefore, you must understand. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this wonderful lesson of law. And we know that even though the laws were imposed upon Israel, a measure of faith was still required for people to be in your will and acting in accord with your precepts. Lord, we thank you for this. We know that it's true. We saw Jesus rebuke the Pharisees who kept the law because their heart was not directed to you. Help us not to be Pharisees. Help us to be those that cherish your word, live according to it in the context which you have established for us today, and to tell people the wonderful saving message of Jesus Christ our Lord, who fulfilled all of these things for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ our Lord, and so it's in his perfect name we pray. Amen.